We are so glad to have all of you here this morning that are here with us, and we are going to continue uh, speaking on a series of messages that we began a couple of weeks ago. If you have your Bible and want to share the reading of God's Word, I ask you to turn with me over to the book of Matthew, and we're going to begin reading with Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 1 through verse number 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1, and then we'll read through verse 4. It is that fourth verse that I want us to focus on this morning. And seeing the multitude, he, Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and we ministered on that last week. We come to that fourth verse, and he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I'm going to stop reading right there. And we're going to key in this morning on that fourth verse. And I just ask that you bow your heads for just a moment and let's pray before we minister. Heavenly Father, appreciate the presence of the Holy Spirit that I feel. Lord, when we show up in your name, you promised that you would show up. And we feel you are here with us this morning. We thank you for the worship that has been uh, ascending up into the heavens, and we come, Lord, to the reading of the word now, and I just ask that you would divinely anoint me, that you would give me liberty to speak your word in this hour and in this place. I ask that you would put your thoughts in my mind and your word in my mouth, and Lord, I ask that you would anoint these lips of clay. Help me to speak as an instrument in your hand. Anoint me to do your work. In my own ability, I am incapable. You said it yourself, Jesus. Without you, we can do nothing. I readily recognize that. And I readily recognize my inabilities. But Lord, if you will anoint us, if you will touch us, if you will enable us and empower us and cause us to be an effective minister of the word of God, then we will be touched and we will be blessed. And we ask these things in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus and everyone in agreement with that prayer said amen. So this is the third message in a series that we have begun on the Sermon on the Mount, in reality, we are simply focusing on really the introduction of the first sermon that Jesus preached. We know them as the Beatitudes. The first week we talked about what it really means to be blessed. Last week we took verse number three and we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. And this week we are going to take that fourth verse and I want to minister to you on just a topic that I've titled Good Morning. Not good morning, but good morning. Hmm. If you've been with us, then you realize that we talked about the first week that the word blessed does not mean the absence of problems. The, many people in our culture today and in the church today think that the word blessed means the absence of trials, the absence of circumstances. Everything is just coming up roses. That's not the meaning of the word blessed. Amen. Blessed does not refer to our material possessions or our wealth, but rather we are blessed because of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We are blessed in spite 
of our circumstances. We are blessed in spite of the difficulties and the trials that come our way. Amen. What makes us blessed and what sets us apart and makes that word blessed become a state of being in our lives, amen, is that we have become divine partakers of the nature of the living God. We have become, amen, partakers of his divine nature through our relationship with his son. So we have come to understand that if we are going to, amen, a, a journey into blessed living or if we are going to live a blessed life, then that blessing can only come, amen, through our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen. I mentioned last Sunday that blessed or blessed living is a state of being. Amen. And then we ministered just a few moments last week about being poor in spirit and what it means to be poor in spirit. Amen. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and what he was saying is that we must recognize our sinful nature, that we must humbly trust in the salvation of God. And to be poor in spirit means that we have come to the place where we recognize our spiritual poverty. It means that we are continually conscious of our dependency upon him. Amen. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he is saying that the people of his kingdom are going to be a people who recognize uh, their insufficiencies uh, and their inadequacies, uh, and they're going to recognize that their righteousness is as filthy rags, and they must have someone intervene, and that someone comes to us in the form of the Son of God. Jesus, amen, that God sent into this world. If we acknowledge our sin, if we recognize our spiritual poverty, amen, if we place our trust in Jesus, if we recognize that all of our good deeds and all of our good works cannot save us, but that we have to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then we enter into a state of being blessed. And this morning, I want us to turn our focus upon that fourth verse where Jesus tells his audience, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I submit to you this morning, that if we are going to live a blessed life and if we are going to journey into a life of blessing, then we need to learn how to be a good mourner. I will remind you that the Beatitudes can be broken down into three parts. Blessed is the state of being. They that mourn is the action or the requirement. Amen. For they shall be comforted is the reaction or the promise. So blessed the state of being. That's what he wants us to enter into. Blessed. But there is a, an action or a requirement. Are they that mourn? For they shall be comforted is the reaction from God or the promise from God. Amen. I submit to you today that if we are ever going to find spiritual contentment and become a divine uh, partaker of his nature, then we must learn how to become a good mourner. We will not experience the reaction or the promise until we first act. We will not experience the comfort that he promises to us until we first learn what it means to mourn. So what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are they that mourn? Does that mean that the Christian is supposed to walk around with their bottom lip, you know, dragging on the ground? No. Does that mean that we are supposed to be non-jovial? No. 
What does it mean when Jesus says blessed are they that mourn? How can someone be blessed? How can someone be favored and blissful and, and happy and satisfied and gratified and contented and filled? And how can someone be quenched by the presence of God and appeased in their spirit? How can we be blessed and in the same time mourn? It sounds like a paradox. Amen, I agree with you if you think that it sounds like a paradox. On the surface, it seems to be a complete contradiction. But I can also assure you this morning that this is not the only verse in the Word of God that seems to be a paradox. Let me share some of them with you. Give you a couple of examples. James chapter 4 and verse number 10, James says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. James is telling us that we can only be lifted up, only be exalted if we learn how to walk in humility. What a paradox. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10, Paul says these words, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmity and reproaches and in necessities and in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What a paradox. Paul is saying that only in our weakness can we experience the strength and the power of God. Luke chapter 6 verse 38, Jesus says these words, Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down good measure shaken together and running over will men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure you give, the same shall be measured to you again. Amen. What he's saying, what a paradox. What he's saying is we must first be a giver before we ever become a receiver. Hello? Paul the Apostle said these words in Romans chapter 6, verse number 18. He says, being made free from sin, being made free from sin, ye have become the servants of righteousness. What he's saying is that we can only find freedom from sin if we become a servant to Christ. What a paradox. You can only find freedom if you become a slave. Hello? Amen. We can only find freedom when we learn to serve. Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 39. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life shall find it. Well, again, what a paradox. I could continue giving you example after example, but it brings us to our text because our text is a paradox. How can one be blessed and yet mourn? How can one find the two coexisting together? Blessed are they who mourn. We certainly do not associate mourning with comfort. Have you ever mourned or grieved and said, oh, yeah, I want more of that? <laughs> right? No. Amen. We don't associate mourning with comfort. But Jesus is telling us that in order for us to live a blessed life, in order for us to journey into blessed living, we need to learn how to be a good mourner. The answer to the dilemma or the paradox, how can we be blessed and find contentment in our lives at the same time while we mourn? Here's the answer. The kind of mourning that Jesus is referring to is a heartfelt grief or a regret over our sin. The word carries with it a deep inner agony or an anguish that has come to our hearts because of our actions. 
Understand that this this uh, this this uh, beatitude that we are studying, Amen, is the second step, Amen. Jesus said it it is the emotional result of the first step, being poor in spirit. Amen. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Understand that what Jesus is saying is that if we recognize our poor, amen, and our poverty in our spirit, and we come to him grieving over the things that we have done, amen, then he will comfort us. Hmm. When we realize that we are poor in spirit, when we realize that we are morally and spiritually bankrupt, we will grieve with sorrow and remorse. And we will grieve with a heartfelt sorrow that will cause us to mourn deep within our hearts. They that mourn are those who respond they that mourn are those who respond to that heartfelt grief or that regret over their brokenness. Are you understanding what I say? It is a picture of great remorse. It is a picture like that of Peter in the book of Luke chapter 22. You remember the story? Jesus said to Peter, before this night is over, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Jesus is arrested. And the Bible said that Peter followed afar off. And when they got to the judgment hall, they built a fire and Peter sat down among all of the others. And somebody came by, a damsel came by and said, you were with him. And Peter said, uh-uh, not me. No. A little while later, another one come by and said, this man was with them also. And Peter said, I do not know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And yet a third time, Peter denies Jesus blatantly. The Bible said that when Peter denied him that third time, Jesus, the Bible said, turned and looked at him. I can only imagine what kind of look that was. What a look of compassion. He looks at Peter and Peter remembered, the Bible said, remembered his words that he would deny him three times. And here's what the Bible said that Peter did after he realized that he had sinned and denied the Son of God. The Bible says in that 62nd verse that he went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he shed bitter tears. Amen. He wept tears of sorrow. He wept tears of grief. Uh, he, he wept tears, uh, amen, of remorse. He realized what he had done. And when Jesus said, they, uh, that mourn, he's talking about those, uh, amen, who regret the things that they have done that have sinned against uh, a holy God. Hmm. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. The Bible says, godly sorrow works repentance. Amen. Godly sorrow brings us to the point of repentance. How many of you here this morning, amen, you remember what it was like to wake up to your shame and your guilt and your, amen, and your grief and your sorrow when you realized that you knew that you had sinned against God. Amen, that's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are they that mourn. They, will enter, they that mourn will enter into a state of blessing. Amen, because I am going to give a, a reaction to their action. I'm going to bring comfort to their heart. I'll wipe away their sorrow. I'll wipe away their guilt. I'll wipe away their shame. And I'll comfort their hearts by forgiving them of their sins. Amen. Repentance requires mourning, grief, sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 in the God's Word translation says it this way. To be distressed 
in a godly way causes people to change the way they act and think. And it leads them to be saved. Godly sorrow works to bring repentance. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that regret. Blessed are they that recognize the error of their way. Blessed are they that have been smitten with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are they, amen, because God wants to do something in their life and bring some comfort to their hearts. This morning, I want us to understand that good morning leads to blessed living. Good morning leads to blessed living. There are four things that the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart that will help us to be a good mourner. If we are instructed to mourn in order to be blessed or in order to move into that blessed life, then we have to become a good mourner. Consider with me four things this morning that I feel like the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart to share with you about being a good mourner. The first thing that will lead to being a good mourner is that we must accept responsibility for our sin. Let that sink in. We must accept the responsibility for our sin. Isn't it amazing that when we fall into temptation and we fall into sin, more often than not, we want to, amen, we want to blame it on everybody but ourselves. Am I just preaching to me? No? It's amazing to me that when we fall into temptation, we don't want to take the responsibility for it. It wasn't our fault. It was somebody else. It's never our fault. In fact, I submit that we always try to find somewhere or someone to hang the blame on. They did this, so I did that. Do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Do you remember that little story? <laughs> Adam and Eve are in the garden. God comes down in the cool of the evening and God says, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I hid myself because I was naked. And God said to him, who told you you were naked, Adam? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? That's a loose white translation. I'm just giving you the... <laughs> <laughs> the top verbiage, if you will. He said, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you to leave alone? And Adam said, it wasn't me. It was that woman that you gave me, God. The woman that thou gavest me, she gave me to eat of the tree, and I did eat. So understand, Adam, Adam wasn't taking responsibility for his sin. Adam was claiming to be a victim. And you know who he's blaming? He was blaming God. He said, the woman that thou, the woman that you gave me, she's the one that tripped me up. And God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? She said, it wasn't me. Wasn't my fault. You need to take this up with the serpent. He beguiled me. I don't want to tell I'm the victim here too. Isn't it amazing that when we fall into temptation and we fall into sin, we don't want to take responsibility for it. We want to blame everybody but us. I got news for you. Amen. Sometimes the devil didn't even do it. I'm going to go, well, the devil made me do it. No. Amen. Let me just tell you this morning. Amen. We need to take responsibility instead of playing the part of a victim. Adam said, Lord, it wasn't my fault. You set me up to fail. I'm the victim. You gave me this woman, and she's the one that led me down this path. The woman said, it wasn't my fault either. 
It was that serpent. And the serpent made me a victim. I find it both amazing and amusing, amen, that when we fall into sin some 6,000 years later, we have the tendency to do the same thing. Blame it on somebody else. But here's what the Bible says. Amen, here's what the Bible says. You can read it in James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man, hello, every man, every woman, every individual, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. Everybody say, own lusts. It wasn't him, it wasn't her, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. It was me. Amen. Every one of us are drawn away of our own lusts and enticed, he said. And amen. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Hmm. Amen. I tell you this morning, it's not someone else's fault. It's our fault. It's our own heart that led us away. If we have a problem with anger and our attitude is something like, God made me that way, amen, quit trying to blame it on God. Amen. If we steal because we grew up poor and deprived or if we violate or verbally abuse or, amen, those that are around us, uh, amen, it's not just because we are a jerk and need to repent. Uh, it is because, uh, amen, we need to recognize uh, that sin starts in our heart. Mm. Quit trying to blame it on everyone and take responsibility. We are drawn away of our own lusts. We are pulled and dragged into sin because of our own deceitful hearts. We are enticed and lured and seduced into sin all because of the wickedness that is within us. The Bible said that the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? I tell you this morning, only the Spirit of God can know it. And it is only revealed as we come to him, mourning over our fallen nature. And then in that place of repentance, uh, he gives us light uh, and liberty and freedom in him. So the first step to becoming a good mourner is to accept responsibility for our sin. When you accept responsibility, amen, you can't lay the blame on someone else. If you can lay the blame on someone else, amen, there may not be a lot of mourning going on. If anybody needs to mourn, it's them. I'm okay. But when you accept responsibility, then we need to do the mourning ourselves. We need to do the repenting. We need, to, we need that remorse. We need that godly, that godly sorrow that works to repentance. The second thing that leads to being a good mourner is that we must refuse to legitimize sin. We must refuse to legitimize sin. Pastor Gary, how in the world can we legitimize sin? I, I think there are several ways that we try to legitimize sin. Let me share a couple of them with you. One way that we try to legitimize our sins is that we often prioritize them or rank them in severity. Hello? Amen. What do you mean? Well, we legitimize the sin by ranking it in order of some severity, you know, chart. If it wasn't a really big one, then we're okay. It was just a little white lie, not a whopper. Hello? 
if I cheat on my taxes, that's not nearly as bad as adultery. You understand what I'm saying? We try to rank or prioritize or amen, we try to rank sin according to severity. And if it wasn't too high on the scale, then we're okay. We try to legitimize, well, this ain't as bad as that. Hello? What I'm saying is that more often, amen, sometimes we try to legitimize our sin by ranking them. But let me just tell you this morning that sin is sin. Sin is sin. All of it separates us from God. Here's what the Bible says, James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Amen. There are no big sins. There are no little sins. There is just sin. Period. John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, it says, All unrighteousness is sin. If it's unrighteous in the sight of God, it's sin. Amen. I always used to say when I was on the evangelistic field, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, amen, if it waddles like a duck, amen, it's a duck. It's not a chicken. Well, I can tell you this morning that if it looks like sin, smells like sin, amen, walks like sin, it's sin. If you can't find in good conscience, amen, doing something in an activity, amen, if you can't do it in, amen, with a good conscience and without the Holy Spirit tapping on your shoulder and say, this is there's no place for you to be, then you need to leave it alone and get out of there. Quit, quit trying to prioritize or rank in severity our sin because sin is just sin. Sin will bring disfellowship. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Sin will cause us Amen, to be separated from God. Stop trying to prioritize it. The second way that we try to legitimize sin is we give it a different name. Our society is great at this. We, we just rename it. We just rename it. I submit that the word, amen, the world has gotten really good at legitimizing what God calls sin by simply calling it something else. We have sex outside of the marriage, amen, and we call it a one-night stand or making love, but God calls it fornication. We have a sexual encounter outside of the marriage and call it an affair, and God calls it adultery. You understand what I'm talking about? Amen, an affair sounds so much more appropriate than adultery. Huh? We, we call it women's health and right to choose. And God calls it murder. And health, women's health and right to choose. That sounds a whole lot better than murder. So when God says it's sin, we just change the name of it and say, no, it's all right. We can accept this. Hmm? We call it a party and God calls it drunkenness. We call it adult entertainment, and God says it's the lust of the flesh. Amen. We call it righteous indignation, and God says get the beam out of your own eye before you try to get the splinter out of your brother's eye. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. Sin is sin. Amen. And we need not call it by any other name. If God says it's wrong, then it's wrong. And we don't try to line up the word with how we want to live. We line up our life, amen, with what the word of God tells us. Amen, amen, amen. Our world today, much of what God calls sin is considered to be politically incorrect and outdated. How many of you know this morning that if you go to the grocery store and you pick up a gallon of milk, it has an expiration date? Right? And I promise you, you don't want to use it three months later. Well, let me just explain to you. Milk may have an expiration date, but God's word 
has no expiration date. God's word, he says in Psalms 119 and verse 84, God's word says forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8 says, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Matthew 24 and 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but Jesus said, My word, the word that I speak, my word, it shall not pass away. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 25 said, But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. What I'm saying this morning is it may be politically incorrect, amen, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to change the mind of God or the will of God or the word of God. So quit trying to prioritize and quit trying to legitimize sin. Sin will send you to hell. And God came to save you from that destination. God came to save us. A journey into that salvation begins with recognizing that we are spiritually bankrupt and poor in spirit and then turning with a sorrowful heart and realizing that we have sinned against God and in that regret and in that remorse recognize and acknowledge our brokenness. And he says when you mourn in that fashion, you will be comforted. Let me continue. The third thing that will lead us to be a good mourner is that we must acknowledge the seriousness of our sin. We must acknowledge the seriousness of our sin. Let me just tell you this morning that sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just a lapse in good judgment. Hello? I promise you I've done both. Sin is not just an oversight in good behavior. Sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59 and 2 said, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid your face from him. That's what sin will do. Sin will separate us from God. Amen. When there is sin in our life, the scripture is saying that, amen, that sin has separated us. And God turns his face from us. Sin is so bad. Sin is so bad that God took drastic measures to deal with it. He sent his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how, that's how detrimental sin is to our spirit. Good morning begins with an understanding of just how serious of an offense that it is to God. Amen. So good morning begins with accepting responsibility, refusing to legitimize and, and acknowledging the seriousness of our sin. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that I believe will lead us to be a good mourner is to confess our sin. It's not enough just to accept responsibility and acknowledge but we must admit to the person that we have offended. We need to confess, not to men, but unto God. Amen. Not to men, but unto God. When David sinned with Bathsheba and he had her husband murdered, this was the prayer that David prayed. You'll find it in Psalms chapter 51. This was the prayer. Now, we all know the story of David and Bathsheba. He was with a woman he should not have been with, and he tried to cover it up by having her husband killed. He tried to hide it. 
But when he was found out, this is the prayer that he prayed. When he finally came to the place of being a good mourner, this is the prayer that he prayed. He said, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Listen to this. He said, for I acknowledge it's not nobody else's fault, it's mine. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me and against you only. I mean, he could have prayed, Lord, I sinned against Uriah because I had him killed. I sinned against Bathsheba because I took her out of her marriage. But Lord, against you. You're the one that I've offended. Against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David doesn't play the blame game. He doesn't make excuse. He just simply looks to God and pleads for the mercy and the grace of God to fall upon his life. One of the most profound and one of the most beautiful promises in the word of God to the Christian is found in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. This is what it says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But listen to this. If we confess, if we confess our sins, if we do one thing, he will do four. If we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful, precious verse. Blessed are they that mourn. Good mourning produces God's forgiveness and bring God's comfort. Mourning over sin brings a blessed comfort because it relieves us of our guilt and our shame and gives us a fresh start. When we practice good morning, we will be comforted in the fact that we know that our sins are forgiven. Let me close here quickly. Good morning starts with accepting responsibility. Good morning refuses to legitimize sin. Good morning acknowledges the seriousness of that sin. Good morning will cause us to confess our sins unto the Lord. Amen. The psalmist says these words in Psalms 32, 1 through 5. And I'm going to read this and then ask you to bow your heads. The psalmist says these words. I said, good morning will cause forgiveness and grace and the comfort of God to come to our hearts. Bring us into that blessed state of being. The psalmist says in Psalms chapter 32, verse 1, blessed, blessed. That state of being blessed is the one whose trans transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The psalmist said, for when I was silent, when I refused to mourn, when I refused to repent, when I didn't open my mouth, when I blamed everybody else, when I was silent, when I just kept it inside of me, my bones wasted away through my groaning. 
within my heart all the day long. And then he says, night and day your hand was upon me. Amen. God was dealing with him. God was trying to get him to turn. God was trying to get him to recognize the error of his way. God was, his hand was all over him and trying to bring him to a point of repentance. Amen. But he refused. He says, your hand was upon me heavy. Your strength was dried upon me as the heat of the summer. How many have ever felt conviction just like that? The psalmist says, I finally acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave me. You forgave me. And then he says, Selah, you forgave me. That word Selah means stop and just contemplate that. Lord, when I came to you and I confessed the error of my way and I called upon your name, you were gracious and loving and kind and you forgave me of my sins. Amen. We spend so much time in our lives trying to find Christian joy that sometimes eludes us because we are not willing to recognize the poverty of our own righteousness. And we are not a good mourner over offending a holy God. I tell you this morning, there is no Christian joy without mourning. There is no Christian joy without tears of sorrow and remorse. But oh, when you come to him and you confess and amen and recognize the error of your way, like the psalmist, Lord, I don't have anybody to blame but me. God says, I know. I knew it all along. I'm just waiting for you to come. And he forgives us and cleanses us and washes us and makes us clean. And oh, what joy there is in that divine salvation and in that wonderful relationship with him. Bow your heads, please. If you want to journey into a life of blessing, if you want to live a blessed life, then I submit to you this morning that we all must know how to be a good mourner. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the anointing of your word. Thank you this morning, Lord, for touching our hearts with the word. Thank you, Lord, that you have, in our mourning, you have turned our mourning to joy. Thank you, Lord, that we recognize that when we are poor in spirit, you bring us into the kingdom of God. Thank you that we recognize that when we grieve and when we mourn and when we feel the remorse of our sinful ways and our sinful nature, that you, oh God, bring comfort and peace and joy in our mourning, in our regret, in our sorrow. I ask this morning, Heavenly Father, that you will take the words that have been spoken here this morning and that you will allow those words to touch the hearts of every individual that hears. Cause us to recognize that there will be no Christian joy without the remorse and the sorrow over our sin. Speak to our hearts today, I pray. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you have approached God with more of a flippant sort of attitude. 
that, you know, well, yes, I've sinned. Wasn't a big one. Wasn't severe. I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to try to legitimize. In fact, it might not have even been my fault. I'm going to blame somebody else. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that there has been no real significant mourning on your part. That you have offended God. That you have offended the creator of this world through your sin. He went out of his way to make salvation available to us all. He sent his only son to die a horrific death on Calvary's cross to shed his life's blood that through the blood of that sacrifice we could be redeemed. We could be redeemed. If you're here this morning and you would be willing to slip up your hand and say, Pastor Gary, I, I haven't done any real remorseful mourning. Maybe that's why I don't have any joy in my heart. God sees the hands going up. Yes, yes. Yes. The truth is, if I could just put it in old archy English, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves and the things that we have done. We have forgotten how to blush. We've made excuse after excuse. We've tried to blame it on this and that. And the reality is, the fault doesn't lie with anybody but us. So what will we do about it? Be a good mourner. And in that mourning, he will bring comfort and joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Stand to your feet all over the building. Cody is going to come and begin to sing. Just worship and talk to the Lord for a few moments before we dismiss.